Let me say what a joy it is to be back with you at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, It's good to be among many friends, many old friends, and thank you, choir, for leading us so beautifully through that Mendelssohn number, as well as the handbell choir, and Bonnie, thank you for your good words. And it's good to be with you, Donna, Pastor, and it's good to see your family sitting out there. And and you are right, we're in the presence of famous, you know, someone famous today, I saw the copy of the Roanoker, and there was a picture of a young lady in the most current issue, I believe, of the Roanoker. And I want you to know, Clint, I got her autograph. (laughs) I asked her for an autograph, and she was kind enough to sign for me an autograph and know I got yours, too. So I'm going home proud, and maybe one day your, your granddad might get one, too. It's really good to be here. Kirk and Barbara, it's so good to see you too, uh, to sit here with, with, be here with good friends, uh, people who are heroes in my life and people I've looked up to for a long, long, <laughs> I won't go on, for a long time. It's really good to be here with all of you, and particularly on a, what in my mind is a critical Sunday. I don't think these are just emphases. I think these are Sundays for self-evaluation and self-examination. This is a time to get back to the core of uh, what are we here all about anyway? What's the purpose of all this? Why do we do this every Sunday? Uh, Why do we have such a beautiful place of worship? Uh, Why do we come to God's word? What does it compel us to do? Who are we to be? Uh, these are these are more than just emphasis Sundays. These are Sundays to get back to the heart issues of why we why we even exist. Why did Christ call us out? And so to come at this, let me just kind of come at it a little bit differently than perhaps I might have in years past, because I'm having my eyes open in some new ways, particularly with the BWA experience and having to process that as well in my own life. But let me just sort of begin it this way. If, uh, if you're like me, and I don't think I'm too off base here, uh, if you're like me, you probably, when you walk through a doorway, don't really pay much attention to the doorway that you walk through. I mean, I don't walk through a doorway, and my immediate thought is doorway. Do you? But stop and think for a moment how many doorways you've already walked through in the course of this morning. Uh, You've walked through a bedroom door, you've walked through a bathroom door, a kitchen door, the door to your home, your car at least twice you've managed in and out of the door. You've come into the doors of this church, the doors of this sanctuary, and I dare say not one time did you pause to stop and say doorway. We just don't do that. And just imagine how many doorways you're going to walk through before the end of this day. How many you go through in just the course of a day. I mean, I didn't notice the door a couple weeks ago, a sliding glass door that we have. I dashed out to get something to come back into the house to repair something. And I thought I left that sliding glass door open. And on my way back in, as my head met that glass, you know what I thought? Other than ouch? Door. And then I looked around to see if there were any black crows sitting on fences anywhere. 
And if somebody had set me up for some kind of commercial out there, my wife's sitting on the inside with her head buried, just trying to contain the laugh. And I came in and please don't say anything. And she said, you know, you've always been good for a good laugh. And I think she meant that to make me feel better or something. I don't know. But all I can say is you don't really notice doorways. You don't you don't pay any attention to your car door until you close it and lock it and you're standing outside and you happen to look in and there on the front seat are your car keys. And someone comes along and opens that door and hands you the keys. You know what you've just experienced? Open door. What if I were to tell you, or what if as you were coming to church today, as you walked up to the church and started to enter, you were stopped by someone and you said, I thought we were having church today. And they said to you, well, we are, just not you. You didn't notice the door. Or what if I were to announce to you that right now at each one of the entrances and doorways to this sanctuary, uh, the doors have been bolted, they've been locked, there's a guard with a gun standing at the door, and you are not allowed to leave here until Wednesday. You think you'd notice the doors? My point's pretty much this. You don't notice doors until you either can't get in something or you can't get out of something. If you're shut out, you notice the door. If you're trapped in something, you notice the doorways. That's when you notice the door. Now, Jesus knew how our minds work. Jesus knew that he would have to draw a thousand different pictures for us to even begin to grasp what it is God wants to be for us and who it is and what he wants to do for us. He knew we would need a thousand pictures. So to those who are hungry, Jesus says, I am the bread. To those who are ill, Jesus says, I'm the great physician. To those who are lost and they want to get home and they just don't know how, Jesus says, I'm the way. And to those who want to return but feel like their mistakes have been too many, Jesus says, oh, no, you don't. I'm the party thrower. And those who feel trapped out of something and to those who feel locked in, Jesus says, I'm the door. Now, you know what it's like to be left out of something. We've all had groups of friends we'd like to have been a part of. They seem to have a good time. They tell the best stories of when they're together. And being with them just sounds like would be a delight in itself. But they're so caught up in their friendships, they just don't have time to include us into that world. And we always feel on the outside looking on the inside. Do you know how many people in the world live their lives feeling that way. Always on the outside, trying to find a way to the inside. My daughter's really good at helping me see better than I see. Uh, she was a student at, at VCU, which can be a different school. Uh, and she's maintained a lot of those friendships now that she's left the school. It's her primary core friends. In that group, she's basically the only Christian uh, that they've ever met. They've never, ever 
had any association with church or church life at all. And one day, Emily said to me, she said, Dad, they're asking me some really good questions and I've answered about as far as I'm comfortable giving answers. Uh, would you mind spending time with them? I said, well, how many? Oh, it's about 23, 24 of them. Well, Lord, have mercy, Em. And she said, but, you know, I said, well, just bring them on to the church. Maybe we can help them get into some groups. And, and she said, oh, no, 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 that ain't going to work. I said, well, why is that? Dad, you'd hear the oxygen get sucked out of that room so fast if I brought them in. I said, well, what's wrong with them? <laughs> she said, they're different. I said, okay, you just bring them by the house. I'll put some burgers on the grill and we'll, we'll have a grill and all. She said, well, that's the first thing. They don't eat burgers. Well, what do they eat? Well, do you have any Boca burgers? Boca burgers? Have you ever eaten one of those things? They're nasty. Well, I went and got a bunch of Boca burgers. They're vegetarians. And when they came in the door, she was right. They were different. The first girl who came in had tattoos literally from her head to her toes and there was a spot right back here missing one and I thought to my wife I said she ought to get a refund on that spot <laughs> and then the guy behind her was even more so he had so many piercings I have never seen that many piercings in my entire life if he had walked under a commercial magnet it looked like the second coming he'd have disappeared so fast it was unbelievable and I leaned over to him and I said, don't let him sit on our sofa. He's going to pick it. <laughs> Dad, I'm joking. And funny thing was, in an hour, I didn't see a tattoo. In an hour, I didn't even see a piercing. They were asking me some of the best questions. I have been asked the most honest questions. And all they wanted from me was to be authentic and honest in response. Don't play games with them. They felt on the outside of spiritual questions from the church that wouldn't receive them. There are people all over the world. Let me tell you what missions is. Missions is nothing more than opening doors. And sometimes you control the handle. That's all missions is, is opening doors. I am the door. All who come in through me shall be saved, and they shall go out, and they shall come in, and they will find new pastures. And they'll have life, and they'll have it abundantly. Now, folks, that's what we're all about. I just came back from South Africa. And I was invited by the Asian Indians of South Africa. There's two Baptist conventions there that were hosting me on this particular part of the trip. And they invited me to a state dinner. They just didn't tell me who was hosting the state dinner until I got there. And when I got there, it was the president of South Africa, President Zuma. Well, you kind of like to know that ahead of time, that you're going to be talking to the president of the country. But he wasn't the distinguished guest at that particular meal. It was the Zulu king, and it was the Zulu king Shasta 
who was the great, 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 who is the great, 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 great grandson of King Shasta who killed all the British at Bloody Creek. You've seen plenty of movies about that. He's a national hero, he and his family. And that we were in Zululand and he was the king and all of us were paying deference to his majesty. And I was called up by President Zuma who wanted to have a few words. And he said, you're the Baptist guy. I said, yes I am, how did you know that? He said, because you're the only white guy here. I said, well, that's a dead giveaway, isn't it? He said, well, come on, I want to tell you something. He said, 14 years ago, I could not vote in my own country with apartheid. There were neighborhoods, the one we're meeting in right now, I was not even allowed to walk into. My mother was nanny to some white kids who grew up in this neighborhood, and they had to escort her out every evening at 6 o'clock because she could not be alone and she had to be out of the community by 6 o'clock. And that was 14 years ago. And I'm the president of the country now. And the only people who stood up and spoke for us on, in a global way were you Baptists for a long time. And I just want to shake your hand and I want to say thank you. With our voice, the hinges of a horrible door creaked open. That's missions. Well, His Majesty pulled me aside. Set the security folk nuts. What was this stranger running off with the Zulu king for? But he held him at bay and pulled me aside. He said, I want to tell you something. When you folk came to our folk, when our country, you Baptists, I'm going to be real specific about the Baptists because he was very specific for that meeting. When you Baptists came to our country, we killed you. You did not get a warm welcome. And we did it for many, many years. And we had good reasons for doing some of it. We just weren't hostile people. Some of the things you did were wrong. Not just you Baptists, but the whites that came in and took over our land. But you Baptists kept coming. And when you kept coming, you brought your hospitals and you brought your gospel. You brought your schools and your colleges and your universities and you brought your gospel. You brought agriculture and you taught us how to dig wells. You taught us how to build latrines. You gave my people a future and you brought your gospel. So I want you to know I'm a Christian. Not only that, I'm a Baptist preacher. What do you think about that? I said, well, your majesty, I'd love to hear you preach. He said, what are you doing Sunday? I'm coming to your church. He said, yes, you are. People who not that long ago were shut out have found a door. But I want to come back home. Many of us in this room need a door. It's real easy to feel shut out of life. It's really easy to feel that life is meant for others in a way that it's not meant for you and I or wasn't meant for them in South Africa or wasn't meant for those with the tattoos and the piercings. It's real easy to feel that life is meant for others in a way it's not meant for us. Grief can do that to you, you know. Guilt can do that to you. A wound, whether it's self-inflicted or other-inflicted, can do that to you. Anytime you feel isolated 
you feel shut out. Churches are feeling shut out these days. Talk to a lot of them. I remember when they were vibrant and they wonder if they're shut out of a viable future. Do we, do we need a door? I hear there's a door. And all who will enter that door will be saved. And they'll come in and they'll go out and they will find new pastures. But not only are we shut out, it is real easy to get trapped in. Sean Paul Sartre wrote a, a play about hell, and you know what he called the play? No exit. That is what hell was in his mind, to be trapped with no exit. Christ knew we would have a way of trapping ourselves in all kinds of ways. And he knew that we would need a door. See, that's what I love about this book right here. This book right here is nothing more than a story of an open door one after the other. Whether it's the children of Israel who were trapped in slavery, talk about no exit, try to get out of slavery. They were trapped in Egypt. They were slaves. They had no exit. And all of a sudden where there was no door, there was a door. And then they wind up on the Red Sea with the sea on one side, Pharaoh coming down on him, bearing down on him with death itself and his chariots and swords. And there they are caught between the sea, caught between Pharaoh. There is no exit. What do they do? And all of a sudden, when it looks like no possibilities are available to them, everything's fixed. Nothing, everything's unchangeable, trapped where they are. Looks like there's no future hope. There they stand, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the sea opens up as if it were a door, and they walk themselves to freedom. What about Lazarus? Talk about where the place is dark and the walls are thick. The no exit is written in bold, big letters. And there stands Jesus saying, you roll that stone away. Lazarus, you come out of there. And then my favorite words in scripture. You set him free. Jesus says those words all the time. And folk, if we start believing those words... We're going to find more open doors for ourselves. Had a really wild experience not that long ago. I'm going to tell you two real quick. One was with Castro. It was assumed that we represent 100 million people with the BWA. When we got there, that Castro would want to have a meeting with us. Well, it turns out he did. We took a briefcase as a gift to him inside a Bible with his name embossed on the top of it. When he opened it up, he started looking at the Bible. We asked him if he'd ever seen that book before. And he said, well, yes, I have. My mother and my father and my grandmother and grandfather used to read this book to me frequently at night. They were very faithful Catholics. And one of the guys with me out of the air just said, well, I've got to ask you a question. He said, well, what's that? Why'd you start the revolution? 
I went, Lord have mercy. You don't come to Cuba and ask Castro why he started a revolution. I want to go home. I was sitting there kicking him under the table, doing anything I could to yank his back of his head and just said, he didn't mean that. You just understood what he said. But too late, Artie landed in Castro's ears, and Castro said, I'll tell you why. The sugarcane fields my parents worked in and grandparents worked in were very lucrative. But we didn't get paid hardly anything. We were poor. Dirt floors, no running water, no sanitation. I didn't even pair of shoes till I was a young man. We had nothing. So I went to the business folk and I said, you're making lots of money. Can you pay us fair wages? And they ignored. I went to the Catholic Church and I said, you need to speak to the businesses. They need to take better care of their employees. And the Catholic Church was making too much profit from the profits of the sugarcane fields and they ignored. He said, brother, what choice did I have but to lead a revolution? Well, my friend was smart. He said, then I have a question for you. He said, what's that? It really upsets you when you see your people oppressed. Yes, it does. Then why are you doing it? And I went, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Handcuff me now. I'm ready to go. He said, what do you mean? The people who could be your best citizens, who offer you the best work ethic, who are your best examples of family and character, you oppress them all the time. We just spent all week with them. Why do you do that? Why don't you set them free? They're the best folk you've got in your country. Am I doing that? Yes, you are. Do you know many of those restrictions because of my crazy friend have now been lifted and the church in Cuba is growing? closed door that began to open. I had the privilege, Dev and I, last month of being with the UN Secretary General at his invitation. He wanted to meet at the Waldorf Astoria, not at the UN because he wanted to have a private conversation. He said, I meet with business people, I meet with government leaders, but I never meet with world organization religious leaders, and I want to meet with you because I have something I want to talk about. So Dev and I flew up there. We met in Cole Porter's old apartment, Frank Sinatra's old apartment. That was kind of cool. That was actually a whole lot of fun. And he comes in, just he and his wife, and we sit down, and there's three or four along with me. That crazy friend that was in Cuba was with me. You never know what he's going to say. I kind of like for him to come along, because I'm always curious. He's bolder than I am. And we sat down. And the Secretary General said, I'm not a Christian. Actually, I don't believe in anything. He said, I'll tell you why I'm not a Christian. I just don't understand how a God, given what I see every day, could allow happen what happens. He said, I don't see thousands of people. I see hundreds of millions of people and the atrocities that are imposed on them on a daily basis. Hundreds of millions. And I don't see how there could be a God, and if there is one, how he could ever justify allowing 
what happens to happen. I just can't believe. I say, but you Christians believe something that really I want to believe it. I just can't yet. You believe that in the end, God's going to set it right. Do you believe that? Yes, I do. So I have to make a lot of decisions in my life. And I hope there's a God bigger than me that's in charge of all this. Though I can't do it, I want you to do it. I want you to pray for me. And do you mind if we meet on occasions where you just pray? I'll be happy to. I don't know that day, but I thought I heard the hinges of a door creaking just a bit. I am the door. All who enter in through me shall be saved. They shall come in, they shall go out, and they will find new pastures. What door today do you need to walk through? And Calvary Baptist Church is a congregation and pastor. What doors in this community is Christ asking you to open? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being the door. You have been that in our lives so many times. And there may be a new door you ask us to walk through now, both as individuals and as a congregation. And I know, I know that it comes along with that, and particularly today as we talk about our responsibility to the world, beginning right here in Jerusalem of Roanoke and spreading on out into the uttermost parts. I know Calvary Baptist Church has in its calling a challenge to open many doors. Give them a discernment as to which ones fall within your will. I pray, Father, for all of us here. Maybe today, maybe today we can hear those words. Set my children I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.